the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome. You are listening to Hope and Faith Ministry, a broadcast of the historic People's Baptist Church in Boston, New England's oldest African-American church. Hope and Faith Ministry features the inspirational sermons of my father, Dr. Wesley Roberts, Senior Pastor at People's Baptist Church. We're so glad you're here. Dr. Roberts has a powerful message of hope and love for your life and mine. Now enjoy this broadcast of Hope and Faith Ministry, brought to you from People's Baptist Church of Boston. The title of the message today is No Condemnation. No Condemnation. Use your imagination this morning and picture with me a court convened somewhere within the precincts of eternity where every man and every woman is on trial. In this court, the trial is not long. The charges are accurate. The witnesses cannot be shaken. The judge is just. The rich and the poor, the educated and the uneducated, the cultured and the crude, they all must stand trial one by one in the place where the hidden comes to light and all secrets are revealed. Who you are is not important. Who or what you know does not count. The saintliness of your mother or the godliness of your father is of no importance. The judge who presides over the court is the creator of the universe. He is the judge of all the earth. He is omnipotent, that is, all-powerful. He is omniscient, that is, all-knowing. He is omnipresent. That means he is present everywhere. And you can run, but you cannot hide from him. How do you think you would do before this judge? If you were to look back on your life over a number of years, you would have to admit, guilty as charged, You name it, we have done it. We have had secret sins and public conduct that we are ashamed of. We have taken God for granted. We have received God's blessings and failed to thank him. Though we have received everything from God, we have refused to give him a dime out of a dollar. With all the evidence against us, our only plea is guilty as charged. 
because we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We stand condemned before Almighty God. But wonder of wonders, the incredible, the incomprehensible happens. The judge pronounces the guilty sinner not guilty, guilty because someone took our guilt and paid the penalty for our sins. This is the message of Romans chapter 8, which is surely one of the greatest and most liberating statements in all of Scripture. Paul, referring to what he says in chapter 5 and verse 1, not on your outline, says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Christ our Lord has done for us. And so he comes to chapter 8 and verse 1 and he says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Paul here announces the marvelous good news that for Christians, those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. This means that there will be neither sentencing nor punishment for sin a believer commits or will ever commit because of what Jesus did. This truth is so incredible that many Christians have difficulty believing it. So they live their lives in fear of God's judgment. Like all Christians... They struggle with sin, they know defeat and failure, but they think that they are the only Christian in the world who messes up so often and so thoroughly. Their sense of failure leads to a sense of condemnation because they think that even God must eventually reject a consistent failure. Their fear of condemnation paralyzes them so much that they live in misery rather than in victory. There's no joy in their lives because they do not realize the nature of their salvation. And this is what we're talking about today. We need to understand the nature of our salvation. You see, salvation is a free gift of God, which has nothing whatever to do with how good we are. Because there's none good, no, not one, says the scriptures. So let us examine the text for a moment uh, to be sure that we understand what Paul is saying here in, in Romans 8, 1 through 11. See, we will never be pronounced guilty because, one, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. So to whom is verse 1 addressed? For whom is there no condemnation? It is clear that it's not for everyone, but just for those who belong to Christ Jesus. The Bible indicates that there are just two classes of human beings. Those who have a relationship with God through the risen Christ, and those who do not. Well, how do we get out of one class into the other? By acknowledging that Jesus died for our sins on the cross and inviting him to become the manager or the CEO or the Lord of our lives. 
we turn over our lives to him and let him manage, manage our lives. So when we do that, our sins are forgiven and we are given eternal life and we become new persons in Christ Jesus. The verse tells us that the promise of no condemnation is only for those who belong to Christ, those who have received Jesus Christ in their lives as Savior and Lord. So what exactly is promised? No condemnation. Notice that Paul doesn't promise that there'll be no struggle for those who belong to Christ. On the contrary, he tells us in Romans chapter 7 that there is a constant struggle with sin and that we will not be rid of it while we are in these bodies because of our sin nature. Furthermore, Paul does not say there is no failure or fault or inconsistency in the lives of those who belong to Christ. But he does say there is no condemnation. So what does this mean? Well, for one thing, it means that God will never reject us. If we are caught up in this struggle with sin and find ourselves doing the very thing that we don't want to do, God does not respond by kicking us out of his family and into hell. I don't know about you, but there's no way, as a father of four children, that I would reject any of my children because they did something wrong or misbehave even consistently over a long period of time. Now, if I wouldn't do it, then why should I think that God would do it? So do you see what I'm getting at? You see, no condemnation means also there is no punishment. Let's get that clear. There is no punishment. You see, God does not punish his children. Even a failing, messed up, inconsistent Christian does not need to fear the punishment of God. For Christ has already been punished on the cross for our sins. So let me explain what what God does. He does not punish his children, but he does discipline his children. The Hebrews 12 and verse 6 tells us, The Lord corrects the people he loves and disciplines those he calls his own. And there is a world of difference between punishment and discipline. Punishment focuses on what one has done. Discipline focuses on what one, what one can become. It's, it's connect, connected to our character. Punishment is designed for retribution. Discipline is designed for correction. God's discipline is not punishment. As God's children, we will not be punished for our sins, either in this life or in the next, because Jesus not only paid the debt for all of our sins, past, present, and future, and taking the punishment we deserved, but he graciously imputes to us his perfect righteousness. So that when God looks at us, he does not see us in our sins, but rather he sees us as being clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's called the doctrine of imputation of righteousness. 
under no circumstances imaginable will any of God's children be subject to condemnation. The truth that there can never be an eternal death penalty for believers is the foundation of Paul's argument in Romans chapter 8. And Paul asks rhetorically in verse 31, he says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And again, in, in uh, Romans 8, 33 and 34, Paul says, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Made us your right standing in, with himself in the King James Version is speaking, it's, it's speaking about, just, about justification. It says, no, so who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. He is our advocate in the courts of heaven, pleading for us when we, when we sin. But let's, let's move on. The, the second point is, there is no condemnation because Christ died for us. Now, verse 2 introduces a reason why, why believers can be sure they will not be condemned. Paul says in verse 2, And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. We were condemned until Jesus set us free. Why was Jesus needed? Because the law of Moses, which was given to the children of Israel, the Ten Commandments, was powerless to save us. It show, all it did was to show us how sinful we are, but it could not change our sinful human nature. And so listen to Paul in verse 3. He says, the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. God did not send an angel to save us. He sent his own son born of a woman like us to become our sin bearer. All of the sins of humanity were laid on Jesus. He was condemned so we would not be condemned. He paid for our sins when he died on the cross. And when we put our faith in him, our sins are forgiven and forgotten by God. But number three, there is no condemnation because the Holy Spirit lives in us. In verse, verses 5 through 8, Paul contrasts 
the one who lives according to the sinful nature with the one who lives in accordance with the Spirit. And then in verse 9 he says, But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. In a marvelous and incomprehensible way, the very Spirit of the living God makes his home in the life of every person who trusts in Jesus Christ. The opposite of that reality is also true. Those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them are not Christians, no matter what they say. The person may, who gives no evidence of the presence, the power, and the fruit of the Spirit in his or her life has no legitimate claim to Christ as Savior and Lord. The person who shows no desire for the things of God and has no desire to please God is not indwelt by the Spirit of God and therefore is not a believer no matter what he or she may say or think. Anyone redeemed by Christ Jesus and indwelt by the Holy Spirit will never, never be condemned by God. But fourth and finally, there's no condemnation because God will raise us from the dead just as he raised Christ from the dead. So look at verses 10 and 11. Paul says, And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. You see, verse 10 speaks of spiritual resurrection, while verse 11 speaks of physical resurrection. So what is meant by spiritual resurrection? We are resurrected spiritually when we are born again. He says, spiritually we were dead in our sins, but were made alive through faith in Jesus Christ. Our body is dead because of sin, says Paul, but our spirit is alive because we have been given a new life in Jesus Christ. So in what sense is our body dead when we are still walking around in it? in the sense that our physical body has a seed of death in it. I've been observing myself as well as many of you over the past 43 years. I've noticed that some of you who were strong and active when I arrived are now older and weaker and cannot do what you used to do. Some of you are moving much slower than you used to. You can't get upstairs without um, breathing heavily. You can't run as you used to run because the old body 
is um, moving to the point where we'll have to give it up. So when I came to Peoples, I had all of my hair. <laughs> now I have much less of it. All of us are moving towards the death of our physical bodies, and there is nothing we can do about it. When a Christian dies, our spirit, made alive by the Holy Spirit, will spend eternity in God's presence. For as Paul says elsewhere, he says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But God promises us more than spiritual resurrection. You will also resurrect our physical bodies. Because God raised Jesus from the dead and because we are united with Christ, we will be raised from the dead also as he was raised from the dead. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, 1 through 5. Paul says, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies. We all know that and experience it. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. What a wonderful passage. So at some time, read Second Corinthians chapter, chapter 5. At the resurrection, we will be freed completely from sin's penalty, from sin's power, and from sin's presence. We will spend eternity with our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. This means that death for the Christian believer is not a miserable end, but a glorious exchange and a wonderful beginning. It's an exchange of earthly toils for heavenly thrills, an exchange of earthly discord for heavenly harmony. It's an exchange of earthly pain for heavenly perfection and an exchange of earthly poverty for heavenly wealth. You see, in heaven, our anticipation will be fulfilled, our redemption will be finalized, our resurrection will be completed, and our dedication will be rewarded. Gone will be the plagues of doubt, the pressures of society, the problems of life, the pain of suffering, and the perplexity of death. Instead, we'll spend eternity worshiping, praising, 
serving, honoring, magnifying, glorifying, and adoring our blessed Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for his loving kindness, his tender mercies, his all-sufficient grace, and his abundant blessings. For the child of God, the present may be very difficult, very confusing, and very trying. But soon and very soon, we'll climb our last mountain, cross our last valley, endure our last trial, face our last fear, and shed our last tear. For Jesus will come again to receive us unto himself and to be with him forever and forever. But until that day, until that hour, until that moment, we must continue to fight the good fight, endeavor to finish the race, keep the faith, submit ourselves to the Lord, and resist the devil, for there is no place to stop until we hear the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. And the hymn writer says it well when he said, On that bright and cloudless morning, when the dead in Christ shall rise and the glory of his resurrection share, when the chosen ones shall gather to their home beyond the skies and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Yes, I know that I'll be there. Will you be there? If you're sure that you will be there, then shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Praise be to Almighty God. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us here at Hope and Faith Ministry, a broadcast of the historic People's Baptist Church in Boston. We pray that you have been touched and inspired by today's message. People's Baptist Church is a Christ-centered, caring church located at 134 Camden Street at the corner of Camden and Tremont Streets. Our Sunday services are at 10 a.m. You can reach us at 617-427-0424. Come visit us in person or on the web at www.pbcboston.org. And tune in every Saturday morning at 1030 for another inspiring message of hope and faith. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.